0: Welcome, welcome back to the show. It's Nikala here, and today I have a really exciting and powerful episode with Rachel Rogers. Rachel, if you don't know, is a woman of color, a mother of four, and a seven figure business owner in that order. This is in her own words. Rachel started her career working on the Hill with nonprofits, federal judges, and Hillary Clinton. When Rachel realized that changing the world is easier when you have some cash in your bank account, she decided to build a million-dollar business and then teach other women how to do the same. Rachel is the creator of the Hello7 podcast and the founder of We Should All Be Millionaires, the club. Her book, We Should All Be Millionaires, is a women's guide to earning more, building wealth, and gaining economic power. Every week, her no BS business and life advice gets delivered to over 125,000 fans and her visionary guidance for female entrepreneurs has been featured in Time, Forbes Entrepreneur, Fast Company, The Washington Post, and more. I really love this episode, you guys. A few solo episodes ago, I talked about what I learned from reading this book, how it was suggested to me by my sisters and how I got so much out of it. And honestly, it's too much to even cover in the episode, so I hope you do pick up the book and read it. But we touch on what I felt was the most important thing, which is the stories that we tell ourselves that prevent us from being millionaires, that make us think that being a millionaire is a bad thing, that it's negative. It's a negative thing to think about money and to want more money in your life. Now, I know not everyone struggles with this, but a lot of people do. And it's time that we confront that head on. So I love this conversation with Rachel for that. And also she even puts me in the hot seat. Okay. So I'm letting you guys in. I am leaving that in the episode. So you can see that I too am continuing to grow. I confront new challenges at each level. And she forced me to confront the ways that I am restricting my own growth as a business owner. It's something that I'm working through and we all need to work through our individual things. So let's get right into it. I can't wait for you guys to hear this. So let's go. Rachel, thank you for being here.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk to you. Yes.
0: So as you know, I was already a huge fan of your book, read it cover to cover um, after my sisters recommended it. So we do these sister business Saturdays once a month and it was topic of conversation for one of those. And once I went through it, I really, really got a lot of gems out of it. And so I want to make sure you guys, you guys listening, get this as well. So before we even talk about your background, you said something in your book, We Should All Be Millionaires. You write, before we start to build wealth, we have to heal our relationship with money. What did you mean by that?
1: hmm yes. Well, because the thing is, I see it. So I've been a business coach for a long time, right? So working with thousands of entrepreneurs over, over the years, I've been an entrepreneur for 12 years. And what I've learned from that journey is you can have all the right action steps and all the strategies. Yes. And that's what my yep. clients say. Give me the strategy. What's the strategy? <laughs> Let me just run the plays. Right. And yep. so I'm like, okay, here's the strategy. And then they don't do it. And Why didn't you do it? Well, because you have some belief in your head that's stopping you from taking action. Right. So it's like we gotta really look at what is our relationship to money. What are our beliefs around money? I often, I, I think that some of the common ones are: we believe that making money is hard. We believe that um, we're gonna lose friends or family members when we make money. Like people will stop wanting to, you know, be our friend and, and hang yeah. out with us. <laughs> you know, um, I think we changed. Exactly, exactly. They're gonna, we're gonna have more haters. Um, and honestly, all, some of those things are absolutely true. They are going to happen. And does <laughs> yeah. that mean that you're not going to reach your full potential because somebody might be mad or somebody might be, might feel away, Right. And so we really have to look at, and like, what stories did we have as a kid? Right. Like yeah. what, what, you know, that wealthy people are mean or wealthy people are jerks, right? Like what, what do we really believe about money and mm-hmm. what do we believe the impact of money is going to be on our lives? We have to evaluate that journal on it, really discover why do I have discomfort when I start winning? Because Great. the truth is, right, we're accustomed to struggle. So mm-hmm. we're very comfortable struggling and we, yep. you know, we start winning and then we bring it back down to struggle so that we can stay where we're comfortable. And the only way to, you know, break through that is to really evaluate what are the beliefs that I, that I hold and how can I challenge those beliefs and, and really see some see it differently, right? And change that thinking because that thinking is what's keeping us small. That thinking is keeping us from doing the work that we're here to do having the impact that we can have right like i just think about the reason why i put myself on the cover of my book is so that little brown girls can see me and be like oh i can be a millionaire too and i don't have to be a celebrity and i don't have to be an athlete i can be a businesswoman right and i can make a million dollars right so i wanted that to be more possible am i going to let a belief that people are going to hate on me stop me from inspiring all those people no what's more important the mission is so much more important than Holding on to that belief, or holding on to those friends who are haters, right on the yes. down low, right. So, like, we have to really look at, and it's like, of course, we have a messed up relationship with money. Look at the history of this country, where we come right. from, um, and the legacy we are inheriting, right. So, we have to look at that and evaluate that, and start to heal that. And we have to look at one of the things I started doing to heal my relationship with money is studying business people, black business people in history, in American history, right. We don't mm-hmm. learn that in school. You know what I mean? And so I started studying that and looking at Madam C.J. Walker and other historical figures that built amazing businesses and had a great impact on their community. So I could say like, oh, this is my legacy. This is my legacy, not just slavery, right? Not just all these other horrible atrocities that took place, but that's part of my legacy too. How can I own that piece of it as well?
0: Right, right. And I, that part of the book resonated with me and I'm glad that you started out with that because I'm not someone who would say, oh, I struggle with, you know, thinking about money or thinking that, oh, I'm doing Mm -hmm. well, so now I need to self-sabotage. I don't necessarily struggle with that. And I know some of you guys probably don't either, but as someone who is a believer, a Christian, there were times when as a business owner, you have to think about money a lot. You got to start planning. Mm-hmm. You have to think about what what do I want out of my life and how am I going to get there? And so as you start to have to wake up every day thinking about money, you start to feel this dual mind of, and you start to think about those things like, oh, money is the root of all evil and all those messages mm-hmm. that we were taught. Yep. But that is not true. Like you do not. Money is not a bad thing. And you are not more virtuous by remaining uh poor or by not being mm-hmm. rich, keeping yourself in exactly. a lower economic status. That does not make you more virtuous. And your book. <laughs> your book confronts that head on. <laughs> and absolutely. You talk about that. So can you touch on that a little bit more too in terms of like, you know, um you're like, you know, do you think God won't like this? God likes donations too. Do you think <laughs> if you don't care about money, do you also not care about paying your rent? You know what I mean? Like that? Exactly. Those some lies do you not care about you... your
1: kids? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Do you not care about eating, right? Do you not care about all of the resources that you have available to you? Right. I think a lot of times we think that we have a, a positive relationship with money and we don't yeah. have these problems. But a lot of yep. times what's going to happen is as we grow and as we have more wealth available to us. Our subconscious might be at work, you know, so like it'll be, you know, entrepreneurs will say things like, well, I only want to do one-on-one work. I don't want to do things that are scalable. I only can be satisfied doing one-on-one work. And I'm like, is that true? Or is that a way for you to stay small? Let's actually Mm. look at the belief behind the belief and find out like, why are you so committed to that? Why I can't? Yep. And they're like, well, I can't, my clients can't possibly get a result without one on one. Okay. So you're telling me that we can't get creative and think through how can I make sure my clients get incredible results in a scalable setting? Let me right. brainstorm what that would look like. Let me at least do that first before I commit to putting a ceiling on my income. Right. Yes. No, the ceiling on the income comes first. Let's do that. Right. Let's yes. give, me, give me all the reasons. I don't want to have employees. I don't want to manage people. Right. Like yeah. we have all the reasons. And it's like, <laughs> what's behind the reasons is probably some limiting belief. About money that is keeping you small and preventing yes. you from building the empire that you could be building and having the massive impact that you could be having. Look behind the surface stuff and really dig in to say why. And you know, one of my favorite coaching tools and one of my favorite ways to like uncover the limiting beliefs is just the five right. whys, right? Ask why. And I, yeah. <laughs> I do this with my clients like, oh, I don't, I don't want to do um, group stuff or I don't want to have employees. Why? Well, because I don't want to manage people. Why? Well, because I think it's going to be hard. Why do you think that? Right. And just like keep doing it until you get to the point. Well, this one time I did this and now I have <laughs> right? this, you know, that I'm. Ca-. and I'm like, yeah, yeah, now we know what's really going on. Right. It's not this right. stuff over here that you just keep repeating to yourself is really mm-hmm. that stuff. And if we deal with that, we can break through to the next level, you know, so Absolutely. let's stop pretending that we don't like money. Mm -hmm. Let's stop pretending that we don't like nice things because we do, right? right? We have different nice things that we like. Some of us want fancy shoes. Some of us want a nicer home. Some of us want to send Mm -hmm. our kids to the best private school, right? Like we want things and the the desire is there for a reason. The desire drives us to go build things, right? So the more we have desires and listen to those desires, that motivates me to go grow my business because I have a desire to have a ranch and build a farm, right? So that's one of the things that I want. So I have a desire to do that. That's going to motivate me to go build my business. The more I build my business, the more I impact other people and help them grow their businesses. Right. So the desire is a God given desire so that we will actually get our butts up and go do the work. Right. Right. like, Don't think your desires are wrong. Their desires aren't selfish. They are placed there for a reason, right. To create, like if we're going to be in his image, right. How you need to be a creator too. So what are you going to go out there and create and how are you going to make the world a better place with the resources that he's given you? Exactly. Or are we going to sit around and be like, money's bad and let me hate on everybody instead of going out there and using my gifts?
0: Yeah. And <laughs> that is the core belief with side hustling as well. So, a lot of you yes. guys, this is why I repeat the boot camp because. I find a lot of people are stuck at the beginning and all the thoughts you tell yourself about why you can't do it. Oh, I'm going to get fired if they find out. Oh, my family will laugh at me or people will be like, what is she doing? All of these beliefs that you tell yourself. So one of the Mm -hmm. other things that you talk about in the book, I love this quote where you say each day you have to choose to reframe the thoughts that try to steal your peace and instead tell yourself a new story. Say, you know, I recognize that the fears in my head are just stories that I tell myself. They are a prison that I have created to keep me from experiencing the disappointment of failure. They aren't true unless I continue to believe in them and then act on them and make them true. I can choose to believe something entirely different. Let's talk about the stories people tell themselves about money, you go on to say. So let's really understand the stories we're telling ourselves, you guys, and choose to think something different. Yeah. So- when did you become this all wise person, Rachel? How how did you get started (laughs) in entrepreneurship? I mean, now, now you're, you know, you're just killing it and doing all the things, but what was your background before creating Hello7? Well,
1: you know, what's so funny? It's the most hilarious thing that I now teach people about money and talk about money. I'm like, I was the worst (laughs) with money. I was the one that was overdrafting my bank account on a regular (laughs) basis. I'm like, how is it that people come to me for expertise on this. This is bananas. You know? yeah, This yeah. is why I was like, you know what? God's plan. You just, you don't know, right? Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> you do not know what you're here for, right? <laughs>
0: no, nope, nope. Nope. Nope.
1: But where I started was I went to law school. Well, I went to college and I went to law school and law school was a traumatizing experience. And I was oh, like, why that? I don't, <laughs> because, because it's really not created for our people of color, women, you know, and it's a very like close knit, it's a very much a, a, a cosm of the old boys club. Right. So, Mm -hmm. um, it's sort of designed so that you are uncomfortable if you're not one of them. And so a lot of my classmates was like, Oh, my dad's a judge and my father's a this, and I'm going to do this after school. And it's all like, who, you know, and I was completely unconnected. Right. So I didn't have access to that. And I Mm -hmm. also just found like Uh, we lawyers, right. We treat certain professions in this country that they are better than others and lawyers is one of them. And so like, you know, once they're in law school, they're like, well, I'm going to be a lawyer. And so they start adopting this attitude of I'm better than everybody. It's like lawyers and non-lawyers, right. It's like the language that they use. And I, it's, I don't know. It's just very icky. You know, I I didn't resonate with it and I didn't like the people. I didn't like lawyers. I I just feel like the (laughs) whole culture of practicing law is is, is gross, (laughs) frankly, very patriarchal, very sexist, very racist. It's all built in. And so I was experiencing that, but didn't know it. I didn't know it. I didn't know how to name it. I just knew that it didn't feel good, you know, and I wanted to get away from all of it. So, and I did well in law school, but I, I, by the end of it, I was like, I got to get away from these people. I'm not here. I'm not going to even practice law, like find me something else to do. Um, and so I read, I read the four hour work week and I was like, okay, let me start some side business, right? So like, let yep. me start my side hustle. And yep. so I was clerking for a judge after law school and I was like, I'm gonna start this t-shirt business. Um And so I got like, you know, I found a designer, I paid for the designs, got the t-shirts made. And then I realized, oh, in order to sell these, I gotta actually have money for inventory. I don't got that. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, right, you know, I, and I didn't know what to do next. And I didn't know who to call or ask. And I was sheepish and feeling shy about my idea, right? So I like, yeah. I wasn't gonna go, be like, hey, who can help me with this, right? Because I wasn't feeling myself at the time, although I wish I was, right? Because I didn't have mm-hmm. the confidence. And so that t-shirt business was not going to make it. And I was like, well, I'm looking at all these law school loans and how I'm going to pay them. And I'm like, you know what I could do? I'll just become an entrepreneur and I'll sell legal services, right? I'm, mm-hmm. I'm qualified to practice law now. I've passed the bar. Let me just go start a law practice. So that's where I began, really mm-hmm. out of necessity. I needed a job and I needed to not work for any, any lawyer. So yes. I was like, yes. Let me create my own freedom cuz I'm not going to make it at some of these law firms with what they have going on up in there. So, I just started my own practice and started working with entrepreneurs because that's what interested me. And honestly, I took whatever came in the door in the beginning. I took family law cases, I took whatever I could get my hands on and then, you know, slowly got focused okay. on business law and doing IP law. And so that was that was my first business was my law practice.
0: So, did you side hustle with the law practice before doing that full-time?
1: Um, well, what I did was my side sort of my side hustle really was because as a law clerk, you cannot, like, I couldn't have another, I couldn't represent people. So I couldn't practice law because I had to be neutral, like the judge, because I worked for him. And so I couldn't practice law as part of my contract. And read your contracts, people. Don't assume that you can't do a side hustle. Actually read your employment agreement and make sure it says that you can't. Because a lot of companies have moonlighting policies where you absolutely can. You know, it's Mm -hmm. just certain parameters. Um, So anyway, for me, though, I couldn't do it. So what I did during that time was I got ready for it. So I was like, okay, what's my marketing strategy going to be? How do I set up the entity Um, Let me go talk to, let me find some mentors that can help me if I run into trouble since I'm a new lawyer, right? Like I was setting things up and getting ready to start Mm -hmm. my, and literally, so my clerkship ended on, um, and you do one year and a new clerk comes in the next year. So you get a one year contract and you're gone, right? right? And so I was like, great. I'm on September 1st, 2010. The day after I ended my clerkship, I started my practice and I already had clients lined up. And I was like, we can start on September 1st. Just give me a couple of weeks. You know, so I had already talked to people that I already knew mm-hmm. and said like, hey, do you need these services? I can help you. And some people would ask me like, do you have a referral for an attorney? And I'm like, for what? And they would say, well, I need a contract. Oh, I could do that for you. September 1st. I'll see you then. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I did. And I had three clients yeah. on September 1st and Love it. You know, hit the ground running. Yes. <laughs> so
0: what what was the experience like for you as you were starting up? You said you took on any cases that, you know, you could find that would come your way, but consistency-wise, right? It's so yes. hard when you're starting up to predict what your revenue will be month to month. How did you
1: handle that? Yes. So it was definitely feast or famine. I mean, I had what I did was I actually downsized my whole life. So I owned a house, I rented it out and moved into yep. a tiny basement apartment with my husband. We had a nice car. I gave up that lease, got like a busted whatever. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yep. Old Nissan Altima, really old with that, you know, hundred thousand miles on it that I bought for like a thousand dollars. That's what we yes. were driving. So wow. I really downsized my life so that I could live off of peanuts while mm-hmm. I was trying to get this off the ground. Um, and so that was my strategy. I'm like, how can I reduce my stress level? Let me rent out this house. Let me do all of these things and make my lifestyle much less so that we can manage it while we figure this out. Um, And so that's what I did. And then I just was like, I I sent an email to everybody I know. And then I sent, you know, postcards and like little holiday cards to everybody I know and said, I have a law firm. Here's what it's called. Here's what we can do please, if I can help you, please become a client. If you know somebody that can use my services, please spread the word. And I sent that out to like a hundred people. So I'm like, who Mm -hmm. are a hundred people that I know that are either my classmates or, you know, my old professors, my parents, friends, my aunties, everybody. And I think a lot of people skip that step. And it's like, no, no, no. The people who already know you, they're going to hire you first. You right. got to let them know that you're here and ask Damn. them for, for help, which we're terrible at. they're going that, to be your
0: first I'm, referral. So.
1: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's where all my clients came from. That's all, where all my referrals came from. Um, mm. that, that first like six months, they all came from those initial emails that I sent out.
0: I love it. I also did an initial e- uh, email when I launched Side Hustle Pro, and I talk about that all the time. Like You have to let your network know yeah. what you are doing so that they can tell people what you are doing when someone's looking for an attorney or whatever your service is. Now at some point people started asking you for things outside of legal services. So when did you start to make the move into helping people with their money mindset, their business practices, and overall growing their own wealth?
1: Yes. So I practiced law for about six to seven years. It was like a transition period that last year of because the law is like, you can't just be like, I'm out deuces, right? You have yeah. to finish up all of the work that you already are holding. They won't let you out, right? Like you get <laughs> in trouble with the bar yeah. and all of that. Yeah. So you have to... So I was like sort of winding up the coaching once I started saying yes to that and winding down the law practice over a year's time. So I practiced for like six or seven years that I had the law practice. Mm-hmm. And I grew it to almost a million dollars. It was just you know around 700000 a year in, in annual revenue. I had a team. I had attorneys working for me. I had admin staff. And so I grew, I grew that business. And what I discovered during that time is I'm a good salesperson. Yes. Um, I really like talking to people. I really like helping. You know, I like our potential clients. I like hearing their stories. I like matching what we do to solve problems for them to remove the friction so they could do what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that part. I hated drafting contracts. I hated doing trademarks. Like I hated the actual legal work and I got so good at it that it became very boring to me. You know, uh, it was like so repetitive because it was mostly transactional legal work. Right. <laughs> um, I liked negotiating deals. I'd like saying what should go in the contract, but I don't want to mm-hmm. be the one to actually draft it. Right. <laughs> so, so that was my journey. And what happened was a lot of our entrepreneurial clients were like, Hey, how are you making so much money? How is your business going? How are you hiring employees? Tell me what you're doing. And I'm right. like, oh, I'm just doing X, Y, Z. And I would just give them business advice for free, like not realizing that that had value because my professional degree was in this. So that's the only thing I could sell in my mind. And then mm. I had a mentor say to me, um, you need to start charging for that. Like, why are you giving that away for free? That's valuable. Yeah. And so I'm like, really? So I was like, okay, let me just try. Like, I, was, I think I started like saying, you can hire me for an hour and I'll answer your questions, legal or business for like, mm-hmm. I don't know, 250 definitely undercharging. Um, yes. <laughs> then I eventually went up to like $500 or whatever to answer questions. And then finally I was like, started to admit to myself, Oh, I actually want to just do this full time. Like I actually love giving the business advice. I love strategizing. I love teaching people how to do what I've done because so many people want to know. Right. So let me teach that. Cause at the time too, all of the business advice was like, how to get to six figures. And I'm like, oh, been there, done that. And also six figures ain't enough. Like a hundred grand, that ain't going to do it. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) So I'm like, let me tell you how to get to at least 500,000 and then above. And what I was trying to do was crack seven figures. Um, But I think the why why I wasn't is because I actually hated the work. So it's like, I said Uh, I wanted more clients, but I really didn't because I didn't want to do the work. You know? So eventually what happened was one of my associate, one of my associate attorneys had a friend who had a business and she was trying to figure out how to stop touring around the country. She was like, I'm making a hundred thousand dollars a year or just under a hundred thousand. And I need this income, but, but I have a little boy and I don't want to tour around the country without him. Cause that's what she had to do. She had like a course or a workshop that she would tour around all these different studios and teach it around the country. And she was like, I need to know how to like make money without doing this. And by that time I had created small business bodyguard, which was like, that would be considered my side hustle. It was like a digital product that I would sell on the side. Okay. Um, so I knew how to do a lot of things. And so I was like, okay, I'll coach her. And so I charged her, I want to say it was like six grand for like six months of coaching yeah. undercharging. And, uh-huh. and she was sort of like my test case. I was like, let me see if this could work. So I just coached her for six months. We'd talk every two weeks. I'd tell her what to do. I gave her resources, strategize with her. And by the end of it, she had a way more successful business. She grew her audience. Um, She had an amazing new offer. She was making a lot more money and she didn't have to tour anymore. And Mm. so she told all her friends and then they started (laughs) coming in and I was like, "Mm, I really like this. So then I started thinking about the transition period. And it took me a while to say like, okay, I don't have to do this anymore, but I had kids and I was a sole breadwinner. So I had to make that money. So I couldn't just close my practice and be like, I'm going to do this thing over here because it sounds fun. I had to Mm -hmm. slowly wind down the law practice and scale up the business coaching. And it took me like a year to do that.
0: So once you were full time with that, did you immediately make it a course format? How did you scale that?
1: So, I mean, I was just trying different things. And at the time, too, I had signed up for um, a coach certification because I wanted to be good at it, you know? Yes, yes. Um, And so I wanted, like, the tools, the coaching tools. I wanted to learn how to use them to help people with their mindset stuff that kind of got in the way. Because I could see I have the strategies and the marketing and I know what to do. but. I want to make sure that I can help them get past the places that they're stuck. So I did a coach certification, right. and then I just started trying different things. I hosted a retreats, I did like one-day events, I did one-on-one coaching, I sold group coaching pack. I mean, I sold like eight different coaching packages that I was yes. experimenting with. Short-term courses, all the things. Wore myself all the way out. Doing it all sounds that. exhausting. <laughs> Listen, I'm tired just recounting it to you. Um, so, so I tried a lot of things. And then I had to figure out like, oh, doing all the things is not going to work. You got too many babies for this. You tired, <laughs> right? Like what's, what, what's actually moving the needle? Like let's look at the data mm-hmm. and say what sold. It's exactly what I used to do in my law practice. What sold the most? Let's cut yeah. out all these services that don't sell. that require a lot of work and that's not our best seller let's just focus on our best sellers and get rid of everything else and streamline the less we do the more money we make truly yes and so i was like okay great let me do that with the business coaching and so i started merging that and narrowing it down and so i narrowed it down into first a course um, and did this course and launched it and it did okay and then i was like you know what i'm gonna launch a mastermind and that's really what i launched once i did my course which is called multiply then that summer I was like, okay, this ain't it. This is this that launch was exhausting and now I gotta deliver. And I'm like, mm. I, I don't ever wanna do that again. Cause you know, I was trying to do one of those big mega launches. We made four hundred thousand, which was the most I ever made in a launch, but I was doing it mostly myself with my husband helping me. That mm-hmm. was it, because I had at this point had offloaded all the attorneys on my team, the admins on my team had gone, right? Cause they were they had got hired for a law firm. They weren't interested in this new thing. And so it was me and my husband, and I was like, I tired. I don't want to do all these coaching anymore. I don't want to do mega launches of these courses. That's exhausting. And so I was like, I'm going to do a mastermind. I want to work with people long-term. And so that's what I started Hello7 with. And Mm -hmm. we had 50 people in it and we made a couple million dollars and it was great. And that's what we did up until the pandemic. So that was, that's, that's the journey.
0: What is a mastermind to you? So what does that entail? What does it mean?
1: Yes. Yes. So a mastermind is really just a group of entrepreneurs who want to grow their businesses mm-hmm. um, and who want to grow like at, in personal development. Yes. Um, and they gather together to, to mind meld, right? To say like, we all got different expertise. Mm-hmm. We all have different industries that we're in. We have creative ideas. Let's gather together. Let's support each other. Let's create a network. Let's hire each other. Let's have each other on our podcasts and platforms, right? Yes. Let's help each other out. Um, and you know, my structure was there's a group leader, right? So I know how to build a seven figure business. I'm going to teach y'all how to do that. And in the meantime, I'm going to sort of facilitate, attract great people for y'all to be connecting with each other Mm. and strategizing and partnering with each other. So to me, that's what a mastermind is, whether it's paid or unpaid. Um, yes, that's what it should look like in my opinion.
0: Got it. And there's a couple of things I want to unpack. So first of all, I love that you, Talk about getting that coaching certification because nowadays too many people are labeling themselves business coach, and you know that there's this lot of gray area here.
1: (laughs) Yes, there's a lot of gray area. There's a lot of gray area. As a side note, I do think coaching is a mostly women woman run business and like woman run industry. There's a lot of women coaches. I I would probably guess that there's a lot more women coaches than male coaches. And in fact, I think there's data to support that. And yeah. so I think when that happens, I think it's very easy to diminish something that women are doing. You know what I mean? That's fair. And so That's fair. I, I feel like the coaching industry, yes, there are definitely legit complaints, but I also yes. think it's devalued work, just like teaching is devalued because mostly women do it. Yep. So it's devalued. Yes. So I think we have to keep that in mind. Like we yes. should critique things. We should mm-hmm. say, how could this be better? And also notice notice our biases that are coming into right. play when we're analyzing that at the same time. And I think also
0: that we should be more clear about what it entails. That's why I ask what's a mastermind, for example, because a lot of people don't know what these terms mean. What, what kind yes. of business, first of all, should get business coaching? Because I believe, right, you should side hustle for a bit first, grow your business, because you can't expect to go from scratch or maybe you can you tell us to go from scratch <laughs> to jumping into your mastermind and having a 7 million business that you haven't even validated is a good idea mm-hmm. that there's a customer out there for this at all right so yeah. there's phases of this so who uh, 100% there for, are yeah, phases. who should be looking for business <laughs> coaching like what's the prerequisite before you're ready for business coaching
1: yes Okay. So full disclosure, right. When I started my business, I went, I started in September by December, I hired a business coach. Mm-hmm. So it didn't take me long to make that investment in myself. Yeah. Now I didn't hire like a one-on-one coach. Cause I don't think I could have afforded it or I right. probably could have found a way, but yeah.
0: How much was your coach at the time? Was that like a, a course so or it
1: was, I, I signed up for a retreat and that okay. retreat came with like a certain amount of coaching session, group coaching yeah. sessions afterward. And so that was a $2,500 investment, which felt got like it. an enormous amount of money yeah, to me at the yeah, time. Of course. And it was, um, I did a $500 deposit and that's all I could afford. I'm pretty sure I put that on a credit card. And then I was like, I don't know how I'm paying the next $500, but I got 30 days, so I'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, And yeah. I did, I did figure it out. So to me, if you can get a mentor to help you who's already done it and who can help you go faster, do it, in my opinion. If you can afford it, do it. Um, and if the cost of it is going to be debilitating to you, being able to get the value and take the action because it's so terrifying, don't do it. Right. Right. But if you can have it, and I had mentors before that, right. So I assembled mentors, legal, like lawyer mentors who had their own solo practices. I like asked them to mentor me so that I had somebody I could learn from. So I always was very much like, how can I accelerate my growth? How can I accelerate my learning? So, like, how can we go faster? And if we can't get it in Always. a coach, can we get it in a book? Can we get it yep. in a course? Where can? How can I learn so that I don't have to make the mistakes and and figure? Why am I reinventing the wheel when somebody's already made a wheel? Just exactly. show me how to make the wheel. Show exactly. me the steps. <laughs> and sidebar, guys, this
0: is why I teach podcast coaching, right? Because you're coming into a much more saturated industry now. Why would you try to do it from scratch with like YouTube tutorials when I can literally tell you what? I've done what's working, what's going on right now. Like, don't try to reinvent the wheel. Um, exactly. Business coaching wise, um, are there certain type of businesses you work with? Like, does it have to be online businesses? Or are there like physical store owners and physical product businesses that you work with as well? Yeah,
1: I work with almost any kind of business. Like, I don't really do manufacturing or kind of construction, like those yeah. areas. But I have retail businesses, product-based businesses, um, a lot of professional services, Online businesses, coaching businesses, consulting businesses, cor- people who sell to corporate—we coach them all because yes. what I'm teaching them how to do is how to build a sustainable business. So what most yes. people do in the, especially in the online marketing world, they're teaching yes. marketing and sales. Yes. How do you sell stuff and how do yes. you make money and put up big numbers on, uh, you know, on the revenue board, right? And yes. Selling and marketing is super important, and I value that immensely. And I see myself as a saleswoman. Like that was—that's what I was good at, right? In my yeah. practice, that's why I was a rainmaker. Right? I could bring the clients in. So that's super valuable—the um, sales and marketing. But most of them teach that and nothing else. So, like, okay, I got these clients. How do I get them results? How do I make sure the frappuccino is made the same every time? How do I scale this thing? How do we solve for the problems that are stopping us from growing and continue to grow and have major impact and not have the the quality of the product diminish? right? How do I build a team? How do I manage a team? How do I lead a team? These are all important questions that we should be asking. And nobody's talking about that. We're all just talking about sales and marketing. <laughs> that drives me bananas. So yeah, we get them in the door want... and now what? And now what? Right. So yeah. to me, especially because I work with diverse entrepreneurs. My goal is for us to not have lifestyle businesses. If you want a lifestyle business, cool. There's nothing wrong with it. Just know what you're building, right? You're building yeah. yourself a great job. Whenever right. you're not there, you're not going to make money, right? <laughs> you're going to you're gonna have to step on the gas to get the, the engine to go. And it's always going to be your foot. And if your foot's yeah. not available to step on that gas, there is no money, right? That's cool, right? Nothing wrong with that. Just know what you're building, However, if you want to build an asset that lives and and extends beyond you and has major impact and can provide a great place to work for people and can be something you sell and give to your kids or your kids come in and and run this business in the future or whatever, there's so many different scenarios. You want to build a real asset that has value when you don't show up. I don't have to show up to my business today. I don't have to show yeah. up to my business for, for value to be created for our clients and for us to sell things and deliver right. things. Right. And that is the ultimate freedom to me. That is an asset that is yes. worth millions. And so I want to build that and I want to teach mm-hmm. people how to build that. So that's yes. what we do. We teach you how to build a sustainable business with systems and process and team and proper operations and something that has a strong valuation should you decide to sell it in the future or as part of your net worth that you can extract value from at any time for whatever it is that you want to sell buy or anything that you want to do so to me that's what i'm trying to teach people how to do not be you know just sell things all day and yes. then sell more things and create more things and sell those things to you it's like let me have a new offer every five minutes that drives me <laughs> I love it. I mean, you're
0: definitely striking a chord with me because I think that nowadays um, lifestyle businesses are presented as something that's so appealing and attractive and a low hanging fruit way to start making money. But what's the long term plan? And one of the smart things I like when people do is create a asset while they have already had a a built-in audience because they were this you know lifestyle business so i think both things can work hand in hand strategically now you mentioned before the pandemic you were doing the mastermind and i know that there was a moment you talk about it in the book where you're like what are we gonna do (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. like people are strapped like they can't afford these services what shifted in your business once the pandemic hit
1: So what happened was that, you know, once it was declared a pandemic, that was a very scary time. A lot of people were like, I I can't go to work. I don't know what's going to happen. People who had more vulnerable positions or certain industries were hit really hard. And so suddenly income was like dried up overnight, right? Mm -hmm. Economic markets are not moving suddenly, right? Um, And so all these people, a lot of my clients, either they were in the travel industry or they were in certain industries that got hit hard and they were, you know, or they were forced to close their doors, and so they yes. literally couldn't sell anything. Yes. Um, or you know, like one of my clients was um, doing grant writing for you know um, health professionals, helping them get you know grants, and mm-hmm. so all of that was stopped overnight. Right. So like suddenly they're not getting new clients anymore. Their clients are calling them saying, "I can't pay," and so then my clients were calling me saying, "I can't pay." Right. Yeah. Or their their partners had lost their income, and they're like, "Oh, I gotta, I gotta." close ranks, right. And tighten up the belt, right. Because we don't know what's going to happen. And it's understandable. That's an understandable reaction. Um, and so we had a lot of that happen with our clients and we were like, what are we going to do? Right. Like what's, what's the next step. We were actually on the cusp of a transition anyway. We had just come back from doing like a deep dive with a coach in San Francisco. And we were going to figure out this new strategy that we were about to deploy. That was all based on live events. Mm. Um, and so we have this whole plan, this game plan that we had created over a week with a facilitator. We came back and the pandemic happened literally a week later, and so we we're like, Well, scrap that, <laughs> we wasted our money and time. Um, and so then wow. lost all yes. those clients, and so we yep. were like, Okay, so mo- a lot of March was spent like in the tub crying, you know. Mm. <laughs> I think we all like, can okay, relate. <laughs> yeah, am I about to do? So um, that's, that's what was happening. But this speaks to the power of a team, right? I had mm-hmm. a salesperson on my team and she was like, listen, I know that it's scary right now and nobody's yeah. buying, nobody's booking sales calls anymore. Like I, I know it's scary. However, we have a lot of passionate people that follow us on our what? Podcast. Our podcast yes. audience loves us. Yes. um and they want to work with us they could never afford the mastermind because it was like a, a high end offer but is there something that we could offer them because mm-hmm. we were a very streamlined business so we had the mastermind and that was it you could work yeah. with us in a mastermind setting we really worked with people who are at six figures and were trying to get to seven that's what yeah. our focus was
0: and how much was the mastermind because um, you said most people couldn't afford it uh
1: 25 grand 25 okay K. Mm-hmm. um and they could pay like two thousand dollars a month um yeah. And we helped them rapidly grow. So it was 100% worth it. And honestly, I was undercharging, especially for how much we over-delivered. But, yeah. but so my salesperson came to me and said, we need to do something for this podcast audience because they love us, they are passionate, and they, want, yeah. they need help. But yeah. we're not offering anything to them at the price point that, they, that, they would, that would make sense for them. And so we were like, okay, let's, let's come up with something. We had a, a big Facebook group at the time. So we went to the Facebook group and we said like, hey, y'all, well, if I could help you with anything, what would it be? And they put, I want you to help me with branding. I want you to help me with, um, you know, growing my revenue. I want, I want, I need to figure out sales. I need yep. to figure out how to hire an assistant, right? Like everything they wanted help with. And I was like, okay, so I need to create an offer with literally everything. And so <laughs> then I got the idea and here's what I figured out. What I figured out is that a mastermind and a membership are exactly the same thing. It's just how many people are in it. Mm-hmm. So if the mastermind has 50 people in it or less, or a hundred people or less, it's pretty exclusive. You get a lot of access to the person teaching it, but you also, you know, it's a small group. You can really have deep relationships with each other. A membership right. community is essentially the same, right? You could have group coaching. You could have um, content that you're teaching. It can be very similar structured, except you right. have a lot more people in it and the price point is lower. And mm-hmm. so when I saw people's responses, and I just, you know, to me, if you don't know what to do, go to your customers and ask them what they need from you. Like that's, that's where you find the answers. And so I went right. to my customers. They said what they needed. And I was like, let's try a membership community. And mind you, before this, I hated memberships. I was like, I'm never doing a membership. Membership sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so of course, that's exactly what I wound up doing. Um, and so we launched a membership in April of 2020. We yes. just basically took our member site that was focused on the mastermind. Not every, We didn't give them access to everything, but we gave them access to specific things that we knew would help them in the stage that they were at. Um, and we you know had a one group coaching call a week that's it and this community and we had 300 people join right away and so wow. off the bat it was a million dollar offer because there were 300 yeah. people on a recurring and it was 295 a month for 12 months 12 months yeah so it was okay. a 12 month right and we there was no commitment but people yeah. stayed long term um, and then you know some things happened that caused it to grow even more the following month so we had a thousand people join. In in June, okay. and so by that time we had thirteen hundred people now in it, and then it's grown to twenty five hundred, and that's where it's at right now.
0: This is so interesting because I
1: too felt that
0: way about memberships at some point. I'm just like I've <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: never.
0: <laughs> it just it also seemed like a lot of work, you know. Are you the one teaching, teaching a weekly, lot or are you you know it's different members of the team?
1: Yeah. So no, we have different members of the team that are in there teaching. and coaching. And I'm not even, I don't coach that often in it anymore. Um, but we have an incredible team of people that teach and coach in it. And we have all this amazing content that's available to them and a pathway for them to follow, to help them. It's the same thing, helping them go from zero to seven figures. Um, and so we just created a structure that makes sense. And the community, like just having the community of people where you can have a place to, to celebrate your wins, to, to say, Hey, I'm struggling with this. Can somebody help me? Um, and so now, and now we're incorporating live events. So it's, it's like, clearly there was a need for it. And, you know, once I realized that, but the reason why I hated memberships though, is because I felt like people always do them because they're cheap. Right. So it's Uh, like, it's inexpensive. It's the uh safer thing to do as an entrepreneur. Let me just charge $95 a month because we think, oh, I don't have to sell it. If it's $95 a month, people just buy it. No, they won't. You still got to sell it. You still got to sell them on it. So it's like stop trying to avoid making like having to sell and just charge what the thing is worth instead of. So even with a membership, we're charging premium prices at two ninety five, right? We're not, and and that price is about to go up too because it's been a while. Yeah. Um, but we charge we charge premium because I want people to pay attention, I want them to be focused, and I want them to get the results, and I find that if they pay more, all of those things happen.
0: Yes. And how do you feel about hiring? What are your tips there? Because obviously you have a big promise and Mm -hmm. people are expecting a lot. And now you have to make sure that they receive that from people who are not you. Yep. How do you accomplish that?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, um, hiring is usually something that we're terrible at as entrepreneurs because we've never done it. Right. Unless you came from an HR background, right. You probably suck at hiring. Right. So it's like, it's, a, it's something you have to conquer. It's something that you yeah. have to learn how to get good at and how do you do it? Practice. Right. And so to me, it's like, okay, here's what I think the key to hiring is honesty, yeah. right? Being yeah. super honest about what is it that I need and what yeah. is it that I value? What are the yeah. company values in my yes. culture? Right. Um, in the, my company culture and being clear about that and communicating that so that people who that's a fit for can find you. Mm -hmm. Um, And then once you're interviewing people, learning how to interview and get behind the mask, right? Ask the questions that they're not expecting, kind of catch them off guard a little bit, create an environment where they feel safe being totally honest. And having them go through a couple of rounds of interviews, make them jump through a couple of hoops to make sure they really want this job. You know, it's almost like having a funnel the way that you would do with a potential client, right? Like you got to fill out an application, then you have to have a sales call, right? That's our way of qualifying them. So let's qualify those uh, potential employees as well. um, And, and try to get behind the mask and get good at interviewing. So you can really identify. And then also I used to hire people and say, listen, for the first 90 days, it's a trial. Um, I hope it works out. I'm going to onboard you. I'm going to train you. I believe in you. And at 90 days, we'll both assess, is this working or is this not working? And if it is, then we can confirm that it's permanent. And that's when your benefits begin at 90 days, right? Like, so that's kind of, that was how I did it in the early days. And trust me, I messed this up a million times. So like, we have to be okay with the trial and error and understand that entrepreneurship means testing. You are testing everything all the time Sometimes it's gonna work. Sometimes it's not. And if it doesn't work, you're going to learn a lot and then you can get better. Right. And apply those lessons and get better. So I think that hiring is crucial. Getting good at it is important. Um, but they are amazing, talented people out there. There are people on my team who do things that I absolutely could not do. Like Hello7 would not be where it is without the talent that we have on our team. Um, we have 30 full-time employees now, and and now I have an amazing HR director. So she's, Mm -hmm. she runs that. And so like you know, hiring is no longer my problem. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> well, for the high-level people, yes, but but um, but yes, and that's what the other thing is. If you can get help, right? If you mm-hmm. can hire a recruiter to to find you the right people. Do it because again, right? If there's somebody who knows how to do it and I don't know how to do it, let me save myself the headaches and have them do it for me, right? Because they have the skill set or have them teach me how to do it because they have the skill set.
0: Right. And, you know, before we get to that level, I just want to bring it back a little bit because I know most of us listening are at those stages where we're conquering, like what we touched on at the beginning, the mental roadblocks that are keeping us either from starting or from growing. Um, I took one of the quizzes on your site and I think the results said something about, you know, all the people I need to hire. And I was like, whoa, 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 Rachel, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yes. <laughs> you were telling, it was telling, the results, I, f- I forget the name of the quiz. It's like, just basically, you know. The growth the scale next, assessment. The growth scale assessment. Yes, guys, go over yes. to hello7.co and take that. And I was, you know, I was like, this is accurate, but now I need to wrap my mind around this. Mm-hmm. and work on this next stage because there's a there's a <laughs> moment where you just can't visualize hiring this many people like it's overwhelming and we have to well, what recognize you, what that if just, and,
1: what have you just thought about hiring the next person like who's the next true. person that you that's think true. you really need on your team
0: hmm. I'm not sure <laughs> this is why I need to I, I need some coach I need some more coaching <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I feel like I, I'm, I have a solid team that moves the podcast forward now. But then as far as business wise, I, I need to think that through. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Do you have a full time executive assistant?
0: I, not a full-time, I have a virtual assistant who is not okay. full-time, is a contractor, yes, who is amazing, so that, and that. I need to even utilize more,
1: like, I underdelegate. Yes. I struggle with under exactly. <laughs> And so just think about this, like, here's how I always, when you have a great employee, you hire mm-hmm. them an assistant, yes, and then you'll get more out of that employee, and so mm-hmm. you are your first great employee, So that is always what I recommend as your first hire is a full-time executive assistant. And when you do that, trust me, and you just give them every and anything. Hand over your inbox, Mm -hmm. right? Like hand it over. And of course, train them, talk to them, communicate so that they know what to do, but let them do it and take that off your plate. All you're gonna do is think of ways to make more money and to have more impact and to make your content even better, right? So it's like if you free up that brain space from scheduling things and sending emails and some of the admin tasks that Probably, you know, for a lot of us, like they definitely are not in my wheelhouse. I'm terrible at staying on top of that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, organization has is not my skill set. No, I mean, yes. I am
0: very organized, but my inbox time response time yes. is, you know, suffering because of of my lack of delegation. And you know, we're going to get better at this. We're going to get better at this. Um, yeah. So I appreciate so that one more thing. assessment scale. The response
1: yeah. time the response time is directly connected to revenue, right? Mm. So if you respond quicker to opportunities, you respond quicker to potential clients, right? Because while they're in the inbox waiting for you, they start Googling other places, Mm. right? And then maybe they get a faster response over there. So then they give them money instead of giving you money, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So it's like, you know, sometimes we need to just do the ROI and realize what money am I... Because I think we always focus on what is it going to cost me, right? To hire this executive assistant, hire this coach, hire whatever investment, what is it going to cost? we don't think about is what money am I already losing because I refuse to pay this cost, right? So like, what's the value of that? The value of the executive assistant for me is literally millions of dollars that I otherwise would not make because I would be distracted working on this stuff Mm -hmm. instead of doing what I do best and what's really in my wheelhouse and my strength.
0: And the cost is not even necessarily financial. Like I hear you say the cost is time, which is more valuable than the actual money, right? So the cost is not, oh, what it literally costs, but how am I utilizing my time if I'm not Mm -hmm. doing X, Y, Z, if I'm not having my wonderful assistant help me more?
1: Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I think the more we can do that, the other thing too is like, I I want us to like really embrace and enjoy pouring into people, helping people, mentoring people, right? Like the people on your team, those are people that they probably look up to you. They probably think you're amazing for what you have accomplished, right? And they want to learn from you. That's why they like being around you. And so if you pour into them, they could they have accomplished all kinds of things. And so like, oh, yeah. how can I teach this person the skill set instead of doing it all myself all the time? Yeah. It's actually very generous for me to say, let me teach you how to do this so you can right. take this over. And now you have that skill set on your resume. Now you're yeah. raising the value of your services, right? So right. like, let's remember that part of it too and not think, mm-hmm. oh, it's selfish to ask for somebody to do this for me. No, right. it's not. great. Right.
0: <laughs> you're so right. You're preaching gems. So my next hire needs to be someone who could say this into my ear every day. Every day I wake up and we have a quick little <laughs> powwow and, and
1: you know, then I go after it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly yes my sister so, honestly my sister saves me for myself all the time because she'll be like yeah. I know you want to say yes to that but I know that when the day comes you're not gonna wanna yep. do that thing so <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and say no and I'm like you know what I love you thank you yes, for saving me yes. from
0: myself that's <laughs> me that's me
1: that's me before we
0: get into the lightning round what should everyone's first step be if they are interested in learning more about hello seven working with your team what should be the next step
1: so there's two things they could do one is they could do the growth scale assessment because that's going to help them see like where am i at right now you get an entire report that's going to tell you exactly what you need to work on for your business, because it's very specific to the level of business that you're at. And it'll give Mm -hmm. you specific advice to build that, start to build that sustainable business. So that's valuable. And that's great. That's on our website. Um, But the other thing that I love is we do a challenge every month. It's called the make money moves challenge. It's just MakeMoneyMoves.co, And that's where we spend five days together making money moves. So I'm going to teach you how to sell. I'm going to give you money moves to make every day. And you got to do your homework and take those action steps It's transformative. We have so much fun. And by the end of the week, they're going to be, you want to do mindset work in five days, you're going to be a different person by Friday.
0: (laughs) All right. All right, guys. So you heard, you heard what you need to do next. So now we're going to do a quick lightning round. Rachel, you just answer the first thing that comes to mind. All right. So number one, what's a resource that immediately comes to mind when you think about your business that you can share with the Side Hustle Pro audience?
1: The first thing I think of is, coaching. Like to me, that's the most valuable thing. Um, but in terms of a tool that I love, I'm obsessed with loom. So loom, like, you know, loom is an app that you can use to record your screen and you can talk over it. And so that's what I use all the time with my team to give instructions on things to say, like, to walk them through something, to say, here are my edits on something. It just makes everything go faster. And the faster I can give feedback, the faster our company moves. So, um, that's one of my favorite tools right now.
0: Alrighty. Number two, what's been the best business book or podcast episode that you've listened to this year?
1: Ooh. So my favorite business book is, um, called self-made and it's about Madam CJ Walker. Mm. So that's the book that I highly recommend people read. Cause you actually get to see like, what was her marketing strategy, right? Cause Madam yeah. CJ Walker is the first female millionaire in America, mm. um, and a black woman. Yep. to be clear, and just brilliant, right? So there's yes. so much to be learned from that. So that is my favorite book to recommend. Um, and I'm trying to think, one of the things that I read that I really liked, it's about The Flywheel, and it's by the, the guy who did Good to Great. And he teaches you about how to create a flywheel in your business. And it's how you scale your business to a hundred million. Cause that's what I'm studying now and learning how to do. So okay. that would be the other book that I've read this year. That's been great.
0: Love those. Okay. Number three, what is a non-negotiable part of your daily routine?
1: Breakfast with my children. Uh, I sit down and have breakfast with my children every single morning. That's how we start our day. We have that time together and that's, that's non-negotiable.
0: Love it. Um, Number four, what is a personal habit that you think has helped you significantly in your business?
1: Running. I just started, I started during the pandemic because I just wanted to have a reason to go outside. And I was like, I see people running on TV all the time, like in TV shows. So I'm like, I'm going to try it. (laughs) I'm bored. I'm going to try it. So I started running and just going for walks. It's a great way to clear my head, get outside, like change my mood. Mm-hmm. Um, if I wake up funky, I'm like, let me go for a walk and not spread my funk around all the people, <laughs> you know, Relatable um, content. A box. <laughs> yes, I yes. will send boxes while I'm walking. So it can be productive, like sending yeah. messages back and forth to friends, family, team. So walking and running is like my favorite thing to do. And I usually do a minimum of two miles, but I'm, I'm, get, I'm growing up to like four miles is where I'm trying to get to. Yes.
0: And then <laughs> finally, what is your parting advice for fellow women side hustlers who want to be their own boss, but are scared of losing that steady paycheck?
1: Yes. Here's what I want you to know. Making money is easy. It's all the stuff in your head that makes it hard. So just start to say to yourself every day, making money is easy. And then look for evidence that that's true. What evidence yes. is in front of you that that's true. Yes. Um, and when you find that evidence, it helps you to know, oh, now I know what the next best action is to take yes. to make making money be easy. Right. So like, oh, I, if I think about making money is easy. And then I think of a friend who could use my services. If I just go talk to her and say, hey, would you like to hire me? She might say, yes, that was easy. I <laughs> I could do that again. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so stop. Stop the belief that it's hard. It's the belief yeah. that it's hard that actually um, causes you not to take the right action.
0: Uh, I love that. And before we wrap, you know, one thing that I want to share and I, it's been my takeaway and I hope it's you guys as well is a lot of times when we get caught up in our head, we are doing a lot of rating ourselves for where we think yes. we should be in our business you know like for me like when we started talking about my business I was I, I, I felt a little bit like oh no no I don't want to talk about I not want to talk about my business right <laughs> you know because You're we Rachel, always inviting you back right, right, <laughs> we always feel a little bit embarrassed about where we are as if we are not on a yes. journey as if we yes. shouldn't we, as if we can't look back at where we were and be proud of how, how much we've achieved so far even if you have just thought about and wrote down what you want out of your life and out of the side hustle you want to start that is something to be proud of okay you are where you are you will grow you will get better stop being ashamed stop berating yourself for where you think you should be and just move forward take this conversation take the steps that rachel recommended and let's go from there
1: Yes. A hundred percent. I co-sign. And also I just need to say, I'm proud of you. I'm impressed with you. Thank you. So definitely you you. should be impressed with yourself and all that you've accomplished. You're amazing. So I love that message. And I I co-sign a hundred percent.
0: Awesome. All right. So where can people connect with you again after this episode? Connect with Hello7. Learn more about you. Pick up We Should All Be Millionaires. Let them know
1: yes so um yes you can grab the book and the workbook is coming out in a Ooh. couple months so i'm very excited okay. about that the top of 2023 I am excited so about you'll that. have <laughs> the companion workbook um and hello seven is where you can find us i'm on instagram all the time Rachel Rogers esq rogers with a d yes. um and then you can hang out with me there all
0: right guys and there you have it i'll talk to you next week